Marge came to see me about her marriage to an abusive husband. She said she was fearful because she had been told in no uncertain terms that they could handle their own problems, and she was forbidden to seek counseling. The husband was a construction worker and a heavy drinker who would get angry over just about anything. He was powerful and she was much smaller than him. He would grab her upper arms, lift her off the floor and shake her and often slam her against the wall. It was no surprise to me that she was re-experiencing her feelings as she related this scene. The two girlfriends that she had confided in both told her that she had to leave before he crippled or killed her. However, she had two children in grade school and no money. This was probably 30 years ago, and there were no women's shelters at that time. She indicated that she felt trapped, that there was no way out. Talk of counseling or divorce was met with anger and a shaking. What a dilemma, no easy solution in sight. Although she felt helpless, I saw her as powerful within, like all my clients who had been left in charge of themselves. I commented on how fearful and frightened she appeared. She agreed and talked about how she dreaded his return home. Next, I made a comment about how traditional it is to attribute their feelings to somebody who is not even there. This was too big a jump when I pointed out that her husband was not even in the room and yet she was doing fearful. Would that suggest that you are creating your own fear now at this moment? She looked perplexed and indicated that she had good reason to be fearful. Look at her situation. I responded with, I think you are totally justified in feeling fear. You do have a good reason. However, is it useful to do fear at this moment in this office and attribute it to your absent husband? It might even be possible for you to skip doing fear at home. That was too big to digest. I know, however, it didn't hurt to mention it. As for those grammarians who are missing have and been missing quotation marks, I don't use them much because I do not recall all conversations verbatim, okay? A little humor. I thought she seemed perplexed, although that, of course, is a guess. I also thought that she seemed to be turning that idea around in her mind. Her behavior was to stay, not jump up and leave the office, which was in my house, perhaps partly because she thought highly of the doctor who had referred her to me. As she thought about this, I also mentioned that I thought that she might tell her husband that she had sought counseling. Her response was to look more fearful and say that it would just lead to violence. I pointed out that she had never prevented him from turning violent, even though she had been walking on eggshells and still could not prevent his angry outbursts. She made another appointment. As she left, I wondered if she would show up because of my atypical approach. She did keep her next appointment and had not told her husband about her previous visit. I expanded on some of my reasons for saying what I had said, and she seemed interested. She was still jittery, but engaged. As we discussed topics like being left in charge of self emotionally, 
she seemed more relaxed. We made another appointment. Once again, she showed up on time, and she had not yet told her husband. A few minutes later, the doorbell rang, and she quickly accessed her fear. I did some apprehension, rather than I was apprehensive, as I walked across the living room to open the door. As I suspected, there was a stocky man in workman's coveralls. <clears throat> he was red-faced and agitated, and blurted out in a loud voice, Is my wife in there? I also registered that he had a bulge in his pocket. My first thought was to slam the door, and I knew that he had come for a fight, and I was no match for him. I said she was, and pushed the storm door to open, which he grabbed and thundered by me as I stepped aside and pointed to the office. He strode quickly across the living room, and I followed a couple of steps behind. As he rounded the corner, he spied his wife. He pointed at her and yelled, God damn you, I told you not to go to counseling. I stepped up beside him and said in an even voice as I could, Would you like a cup of coffee or to join us for a while? He slowly pulled his hand down and turned to me as if he had not heard me, so I repeated my invitation, and I could see his hands relaxing. He turned fully to me, shook his head as if to clear his mind, and said, I better leave before somebody gets hurt. He turned and left, and I followed him to the door and said he could come back any time he wanted. When I came back in the office, Marge was still sitting small, kind of huddled. I told her what I had been thinking as all this unfolded. I said that when the doorbell rang, I immediately did some video, audio, and filio about an imagined possibility. As I walked across the floor to answer the door, I did about six or seven on the fear or apprehension scale. When I opened the door and actually saw what I had been doing fear about, I went to nine or ten. I saw that he was very angry. In spite of my urge to slam the door, I opened the outer door. I answered yes and pointed to the office. When he yanked the store door open and thundered by me, I followed him. This is the conversation I had with myself as I walked across the living room. Somebody is likely to be badly hurt or dead in the next couple of minutes, and it might be me. My question to myself was, do I want to spend the last minute or two of my life doing fear? My answer to myself was no, and I dropped down to a scale of about two or three, which made it possible for me to invite him to join us in an almost ordinary voice. Marge and I talked for quite a while, sort of debriefing, and she made another appointment. As the time of her next appointment approached, I did some curiosity, as opposed to I was curious, about what I would hear if she showed up. She was on time, and her countenance seemed changed. She related her experience, what she had made up the rest of that day. She said that she would get on the fear burner momentarily from time to time, but that she would interrupt quickly by getting curious about how she would react when he came home, not on what he would do. Doing curiosity is a much better filio than doing fear. She indicated that she had alternated back and forth many times 
so she had practiced interrupting many times. When he came home later, he had been drinking and immediately began a rant about her going to counseling. He worked himself up to the point where he grabbed her by the upper arms, lifted her off the floor, and prepared to shake her. She said that she didn't do fear and was almost nonchalant when she asked, Bob, do we have to do this? She continued, he seemed a little confused, like he had in your office, and he put me down. I was surprised, and yet I was not surprised. I shared the tennis game analogy with Marge and how the game had to change if one person changed. Clearly, she had shown up without her racket. She didn't change him, but he had to adjust to a new game. We met a few more times, and she reported that Bob worked himself up at times, but stopped short of picking her up. She said she was feeling better and was thinking about looking for a job, even though her husband had forbidden her to work outside the home. After a few meetings, she said that although things were better, she still wanted a better marriage, and so she told Bob that either he came to counseling or she was going to get a divorce. His reaction was very negative. He stated that he was not crazy and if she thought she was going to get a divorce, that he would kill her first. Her response was that if that's what he had to do, he would do it. Just as if she were still alive, she would get a divorce. It is difficult to imagine a more reluctant client. They did come in together, but he pulled a chair into a corner as far away as possible and remained withdrawn. He was ill at ease and said very little. Marge and I talked mostly and I made sure that I did not point to him as the bad guy, hoping he would get involved. Marge said he was a good provider and loved his two sons, but wanted a more of a positive relationship with him. It turned out that one time was enough for him and he did not return. She found a job and arranged for her girlfriend and neighbor to look after the boys after they got out of school until she got home. There was no further need for us to get together, so we left it that she could return at any time. In my view, she had changed herself from a frightened woman into a can-do lady who was gentle within and yet decisive, somebody who knew how to take care of herself, in my terminology, more effectively selfish. Several years later, she wanted me to talk with the oldest boy, so I had a chance to catch up with what had happened in the interval since I had seen her. About a year or two after we had talked, she got a divorce. She stayed in the house, and her ex came by to see the boys or take them with him. He also dropped off money and told her this was for the boys, not for her. She said that he was pretty cooperative overall and that she liked living alone. She had dated some, but was not interested in marriage. In terms of work, she had gone into sales and was pleased to share that she was in the top 5% for a national company, complete with bonuses and recognition. What a transformation or transformation. Almost anything is possible when a person is at the wheel while impossible from the back seat. I want to point out that I did not help her, she helped herself. How could I have helped her if I could not teach her, if I could not motivate her, 
if I could not convince her, and if I could not even influence her. Her change was due to an expanded awareness that she was left in charge of herself. Only she had not known that before. She did not gain control. She simply used her control to make an eye turn. I was impotent to help her. I could only invite her to use the control she was stuck with. She went from having emotions to doing emotions. I had inadvertently provided a role model for her in my interacting with her husband. She could see what I had been talking about. As a postscript, I would not want to have many encounters like that one. I might add that our first five minutes together could also have some bearing on her experimenting with some of the BS I shared. As I was waiting for her, I heard a loud crash in front of my house. She was driving a big old station wagon and had smashed into the back of my car with her car bumper going over my bumper and damaging the trunk lid. Although no damage to her vehicle, my car had considerable damage. Of course, I came out immediately and saw what had happened. She said, I hope that's not your car, and I responded that it was. She was very apologetic and nervous, saying her foot had slipped off the brake and onto the gas pedal. Since I knew that my doing upset wouldn't fix my car, I suggested that as long as she was here, let's go inside and talk about why you came to see me. So in spite of an unfortunate beginning, we had a useful session, in part because I didn't do the normal upset and served as a model of comfort. Again, I want to say that I would have liked a more usual beginning without the crash. However, I understand and accept it is what it is. You had to listen a long time to get to this implementation, and you have provided or created or made up all that you have experienced as you heard what I have made up. You provided the meaning, reactions, questions, judgments, perceptions, ahas, doubts, etc., of these words. I did not make you have any reactions. You see this BS as you are hearing it. It is inert. It is not alive. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't mean anything. It just is. You make the words come alive for you. Do you think for a minute that everybody who has heard this so far has made up or constructed their own experience identical to yours? I don't think so. There is too much uniqueness for that to occur. I could label this epistle an invitation to you to be cause. Because you are. Your choice, cause, or pawn. If what you make up doesn't serve your interest in taking care of yourself toward feeling good, make up something different that will. Perhaps I can use an analogy that is familiar to each of us. Your phone rings and you make a decision to answer or not. Your choice. If you choose to answer, you decide how many times you let it ring first. You can answer with a variety of greetings and a variety of tonalities. If you decided not to answer, you may decide to wonder if you missed an important call or not to give it another thought. With a cell phone, you can check the number and decide whether to answer or return the call. 
Decisions, decisions, decisions. What I want to point out is the ringing of the phone is simply a stimulus in the environment, not a cause of your behavior. Simply an invitation to act or not act, your choice. The world is full of invitations. However, the cultural norm is to consider them causes. Peanuts by Charles M. Schultz. Peppermint Patty's talking to Charlie Brown on the phone. If I fail that test tomorrow, it'll be your fault, Chuck, because we talked on the phone too much. You're the one who keeps calling me. You shouldn't answer the phone, Chuck.